This morning we turn our attention to the book of Exodus. It's Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 through 15. After several months of spending our time on Sunday mornings in the book of Genesis, which is so foundational to not only developing a Christian world and life view, but really foundational for understanding the word of God and the rest of the story as it unfolds, we turn our attention to the book of Exodus. If you were to put the book of Genesis in in one phrase, you would say the, the story of Genesis amongst all of its themes really is the story of God's faithfulness from one generation to the next. Well, the story of Exodus is God's salvation through deliverance. If Genesis is God's salvation or God's faithfulness from one generation to the next, the story of Exodus in a nutshell is the story of God's salvation through deliverance, which ultimately ends up in God dwelling with his people. Today in Exodus chapter 3, we find a story that might be familiar to some. It's Moses, a man by the name of Moses, encountering God in the wilderness in a very unlikely form, in the form of a burning bush. Well, we left off last week with Genesis chapter 50, and we ended with a man by the name of Joseph. Well, between the end of the narrative of the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, there's about 432 years that have passed between Joseph and Moses. The people of God had multiplied. Uh, They had grown by the millions. And Pharaoh, out of concern of the rapid growth of the Israelites, decides to enslave the Israelites. And out of the Israelites being enslaved, out of the Israelites comes a man by the name of Moses. Moses is abandoned by his mother and father, but he's picked up. He's, as his name says, drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. Raised as a prince, raised as royalty, eventually comes to a point in his life where he can't take the enslavement of his people anymore. And in Exodus, at the beginning of Exodus, strikes an Egyptian dead. As the word begins to spread about the, what Moses had done to a, a, an Egyptian, he flees for his life. He's running for his life, and that's where we meet the character of Moses here in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, ending in verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he fed, led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their 
taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them to the land to a good land and a broad land, a land flowing of milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me. I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be, shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. You shall have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And then God, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is the name? What shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And the grass withers on this Lord's day and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Rarely do you meet a person that doesn't believe or acknowledge God. Statistics would say that that is right on. That most people, particularly in North America, acknowledge that there's a God and believe that there is a God that exists. The problem is most of the people that, even if they acknowledge that there is a God, have no earthly desire who this God is. They certainly don't have a relationship with God, this God. You could say that although they believe there is a God, they don't know this God personally. You see, Moses here in Exodus believed in God and acknowledged that there was a God. But most commentators agree that it was not until Exodus chapter 3 and the story of the burning bush that Moses actually had a conversion experience. That Moses went from a man who simply believed in God and acknowledged God to a man who met God and knew God personally and entered into a relationship with this God and his life was forever changed. This year in Exodus chapter 3 and Moses encountering God and the story of the burning bush teaches us so much about who God is. Not the God that you want, not the God that you have created, not the God who is a figment of our imagination, not the God of our culture, but the story of Exodus chapter 3 is the story of God as he is presented in the scriptures. The God who is, or as Francis Schaeffer said, the God who is there. In my opinion, Exodus chapter 3 presents to us one of the greatest pictures of the God of the Bible. A God who is, a God who is presented to us, a God who is presented to Moses, a God that forever transformed the life of Moses, and I pray this morning forever changes your life as well.
God is presented in the story of Exodus chapter 3 as a burning bush, as a fire. And that is the central metaphor here in Exodus chapter 3. But it would be the metaphor of God throughout most of Scripture. Most of Scripture refers to God as a fire throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. When we see the presence of fire, it's typically describing the presence of of God. And there's two simple things I want you to see here this morning in Exodus chapter 3 as God reveals himself to us through his word. The first is this, the first thing that we see in Exodus chapter 3 is we see the God unlike any other. He is the God that is presented to Moses and ultimately us this morning as the God unlike any other. And there's two keys to understanding the significance and the distinctiveness of this God as he's presented in Exodus chapter 3. The first key to understanding that this God is unlike any other is the presence of fire. The fact that he is described as a burning bush. See, in verse 2 and 3, and you can tell by the reaction of Moses, is that this fire is unlike any fire you have ever seen. And just as the God that is presented to us in the Bible is unlike anything we've ever seen, the burning bush, the fire in Exodus 3, is unlike any fire that we've ever seen. What do I mean by that? Well, all fire is dependent upon what? Fuel. And the natural fuel for this fire in Exodus chapter 3 would have been what? The bush. And even Moses acknowledges how in the world is the bush not consumed? You see, every fire is dependent upon fuel. Every fire is dependent upon something. But God is revealing himself to us this morning as the one who is dependent upon nothing. I am the fire that is not dependent upon anyone or anything. The power of this fire exists in its own being, not consuming the bush. It is the self-existence of God that we see in the fire, unlike anything we have ever laid our eyes on. But not only do we see this key to understanding this God and the holiness and the separateness of God in the fire, but the second key to understanding this God is in his name. God does not only present himself as a fire with no other source other than in and of itself, but in verse 14, we see this God is presented with a unique name, not the greater than Abraham, not the one who's greater than Jacob, not the one who is greater than anything you laid your eyes on, but he, in verse 14, God reveals himself as the what? The I am. What's significant about that name? He simply uses the Hebrew to be verb. I am. I am what? No, that's the point. I am. I am dependent upon nothing. I am dependent upon no one. You see, what this does, by virtue of God revealing himself as fire and the I am, he's taking us back to Genesis 1. The self-existent nature of God. In the beginning was God. That God reveals himself in the scripture as the one being that is not dependent on anyone or anything. It is the self-existence of God. And that is what puts him in a class all by himself. And he reveals himself to Moses as fire and the I am. And he reveals himself to you this morning. And he says, you must reckon with me this morning. 
because there is nothing and no one that ever was or will ever be. You see, by God saying that the I am, he's saying there's never been a time in the history of the world, there's never been a time where people could say God will be and there never will be a time where people could say God was. God is and forever shall be. Do you understand what this means on a practical level? The self-existence of God as revealed in the fire and the name in the burning bush is at the same time the most humbling truth and the most liberating truth for you this morning. The most humbling. We live in a world of big egos. People that like to think, and you might be amidst in the crowd this morning, that think that you are the self-made man and the self-made woman that got yourself here, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, and it's been your decisions and your talents and your abilities for why you are at the place you are today. And God says, not so fast. All of your abilities and all of your talents and the entire path of your life is solely dependent upon me. And that is a humbling truth for a world full of big egos. But at the same time, it's not only the most humbling truth, it's the most liberating. Because you and I live every day, whether we realize it or not, thinking we're keeping this world spinning around and holding it all together. And as Martin Luther said it best, worry and anxiety is the illusion and burden that everything is dependent upon you. Listen to that. From the words of Martin Luther, worry and anxiety is the illusion and the burden that everything is dependent upon you. The fire and the name reveal a God unlike any other, the most humbling and the most liberating truth that the world has ever heard. But not only do we see in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 a God unlike any other that Moses must reckon with and ultimately we must reckon with in our lives, but we also see a God who can be encountered. We see the God who seeks to have relationship with his people, a God that not only can be known, but a God who knows, who desires to be experienced and be encountered and enter into relationship with his people. But how? Well, it's fire after all. And that makes things quite complicated. Because God presenting himself to Moses as fire, on the one hand... Fire is life-giving, and on the other hand, fire is fatal. And we see it here in the passage. We see the, how fire can be deadly, and we can see how fire can be life-giving. And it's in the fire that reveals the nature and the character of God. Because who is God? God, on the one hand, we are told, is holy and just and demanding in fact, what does the angel of the Lord say? Take off your sandals for you're walking on what in verse 5? Holy ground. It's in the fire that we see the holiness of God, the demand of God. But we see another side of God. In verse 7, it says, I hear the cry of my people. We see the compassion of God at the same time. We see a God of love and a God who is accepting and what we see in the fire, this is brilliant on the mind, on the part of God. 
because it shows us the holiness of God and the love of God, the demanding nature of God and the acceptance of God. And it begs the question that has been plaguing humanity from the fall in Genesis 3, how in the world can a God who is holy and just, but a God who is loving and accepting, embrace people like you and me? You see, the brilliance of Exodus 3 and the miracle of Exodus 3, follow me here, is not that the bush was not caught up in flames and consumed. The miracle of Exodus chapter 3 is that Moses wasn't consumed. You see, on the one hand, the angel of the Lord says, stop and take off your shoes. But on the other hand says, I hear the cry of my people. How in the world was Moses not consumed on that day? Well, the answer is in verse 2. You see, at the very beginning of the passage, we're presented with a figure in the middle of the burning bush. And it is the angel of the Lord. But you say, angel of the Lord? There's all kinds of angels in the Bible. What's, what's so special about this angel? Well, no other angel demands worship. You see, this angel confronts Moses that he's on holy ground and Moses takes off his shoes and the angel accepts it as worship and then goes on to speak on behalf of God. You see, what is happening here in the burning bush is God is manifesting himself as the great mediator between God and man. And he presents a manifestation of himself as a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ, mediating between a holy God on the one hand, and a God who longs to accept and love. And it is the angel of the Lord as this manifestation of God who mediates between Moses and God and does not allow Moses to be consumed that day. You don't believe me? John chapter 8. Centuries later, John chapter 8, when confronted by the religious leaders, who are you, Jesus? Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus is doing in John chapter 8 is he's saying, I am Jesus is not saying before Abraham I was. He was saying he is linking himself to the angel of the Lord and the story of the burning bush and saying just as the angel of the Lord revealed himself as the I am, I am the one who has come as the full manifestation of God, God in the flesh, to do for you what you could never do for yourself, to reconcile on the cross the holiness of God on the one hand and the love and grace of God on the other. And it would be on the cross of Calvary that the I am, the second in the Trinity, would hang on the cross and he would be consumed by the divine wrath and judgment of God so that by faith you and I would never, ever be consumed by God. William Billings said it best in his Christmas poem, Seek not 
in courts or palaces, nor royal curtains draw, but search the stable, see your God extended on the straw. The royal guest you entertain is not of common birth, but second to the great I am, the God of heaven and earth. The second person of the Trinity appearing in the burning bush, being the mediator between God and man, God and man, and at the cross, the burning bush foreshadowing the cross and the only place where God's holiness and justice and demands could be met and at the same time meeting God's desire to be gracious and compassionate to his people. There is only one place to find this satisfaction and this reconciliation between the God of the Bible. You can't make up this God. He is the God of the Bible. And he's the God that presents himself to you this morning, full of love, but full of demands. And it's only men in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be wondering if this is the God unlike any other, and, and, and this is the God who, who can be encountered and can be met and, and entered into a relationship with you. The, the one question I get all the time, and you might be asking yourself this morning, is, is how do I know I've, I've truly encountered this God? How, how can I know for sure that I, I truly have a relationship with this God? Well, you see, what happens is the same thing that eventually happened to Moses. You see, when, when Moses met the God unlike any other and, and his life was utterly transformed, Moses eventually became like a burning bush. And so can you. You say, Pastor, how's that possible? You see, people know that they've encountered God because their life begins to look just like the burning bush. Because it was the burning bush that gives us an incredible picture of what? The character and nature of God. You see, the whole goal of the Christian life is that over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I look less like myself and I look more like Jesus, empowered by that message of the cross. I die to myself and I say yes to God and I say no to myself. And I begin to look like the burning bush. That on the one hand, I begin to reflect the holiness and the character of God in my life. I, I look at my life and over time I, I begin to reflect the, the, the character and the, the separateness of God that, that I can see God working in my life in such a way that he's recreating me in his image to be the man and the woman that he originally designed and desired for me to be in the garden. I, I begin to reflect the holiness of that fire. But on the same time, over time through the power of the Holy Spirit, I begin to reflect also the, the love and compassion of the bush as well. That the, that the fire doesn't consume, but it gives life. You see, the biblical balance for us this morning to know that if we have truly met the God of the Bible is that we have this biblical balance that we begin to see the holiness of God shaping our life, but we begin to see the love of God transform us as well. And so in our church, when there are people who say that I simply reflect the, the demands of God and the holiness of God, 
and I have no time for the love and the compassion of God, I say, you have not encountered God. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God who's presented here to Exodus and certainly not the God of biblical Christianity. But on the same token, when I hear people say that all I need to do is, is embrace the love of God and, and I just exude love and compassion and, and I don't worry about growth and change and, and, and holy living, I say, no, 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 not so fast. You too have not encountered the God of the Bible. Because it's when a person meets the God of the Bible and encounters the work of the cross that brings both the holiness and the grace of God together, that person is truly conformed and transformed into one who bears the image and likeness of the one who came to bear the image and likeness of God. And Jesus Christ, you can have that power this morning to reflect the power and the love and the holiness of the burning bush. You can have that power this morning only at the cross that gives you the only power to exude both holiness and love, knowing that it was satisfied fully in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning, do you know this God? Not the God that we've made up, not the God of our culture. I want to know, have, do you know this God? Now, some of you might say, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to have a relationship with this God. Well, you've got good news this morning because that's what makes Christianity so special and what separates it from the pack. You see, if you say this morning that I don't have what it takes to have a relationship with God, then you are well on your way to be counted a son and a daughter. Because this God came down to transform Moses and to transform people like you and me that don't have what it takes into this burning bush to transform us into a son and daughter of the king. My daughter Lydia, a few weeks ago, must have been two or three in the morning, climbed into bed right in between my wife and I, startled me. All of a sudden you look over and she's about right here in my face. And I go, Lydia, what are you doing? She says, Daddy, I can't sleep. I said, neither can I. <laughs> well, after about five minutes, she's back asleep and it takes me about an hour and a half to get back to sleep. But you know what? As disruptive as that was, she can do that every night because she's my little girl. Now, what if you tried to do that? The audacity to think you could walk into my house unannounced at any time is absolutely audacious. But you don't want to know what's even crazier? The thought that you or I could walk into the house of the Lord that we could walk into the presence of God unannounced. But the good news for those that are in Christ this morning, you can. And you can walk in unannounced and he sees you in Jesus Christ for those that have surrendered their life to him as his favorite daughter, as his favored son. 
treated as his favorite. So if you're in Christ this morning, why don't you try it this week? Why don't you bang on God's door? Or better yet, why don't you just walk in?